Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate teachers. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at you, Kramer. On the one hand, the consumer has no problem buying a $3,500 Vision Pro from Apple. On the other hand, the consumer can't afford a Big Mac with fries and a Diet Coke from McDonald's. On the one hand, the consumer is willing to sell out $34.99 for the vinyl version of the tortured poets department by Taylor Swift. But the consumer is also struggling to pay $1.25 the core price tag of something bought at Dollar Tree. How is it possible? And how does it impact our markets on a day like today where the Dow lost 274 points, S&P declined 0.32%, and Nasdaq dipped 0.20%, although I have to tell you, at one point mid-morning around 1030, we were down so much more. The answer, frankly, is pretty stark. It's not one consumer. There are two consumers in this country. There's a consumer who's spending a fortune feeling extremely flush. Then there's a consumer who's extraordinarily pressed and can't afford to go out because prices have gone up too much. It's like we do have two countries here. That's how stark these divisions really are. As long as the wealthy consumer isn't struggling and the cash-strapped consumer remains under pressure, we know that inflation remains a problem. And inflation is a problem, the Fed is not going to cut interest rates anytime soon, something confirmed by Fed Chief Jay Powell in his appearance on CBS 60 Minutes last night. So if the short rates that the Fed controls aren't going down, there's this difficult reverberation in the bond market that causes longer-term rates to go higher, making everything even more expensive for those who have little money without really impacting the wealthy. In other words, it doesn't help to raise rates from here. But if the Fed cuts rates and inflation comes back, it's even worse for the consumer. The consumer's in a jam, at least one of the two consumers. It all comes down to the statistics. Take last Friday. We got that uh, hourly earnings from the Labor Department, non-farm payroll report, and, well, the wages were up 4.5% year-over-year. Now, that was more than expected. Robust? Robust enough to rankle the bond market. The combination of higher wages with 353,000 new jobs added had investors furiously dumping bonds, something that sent them down in price and up and yield. That process continued today. Now consider the weaker earnings numbers that we got for today from McDonald's, the one that caused the steady, reliable company stock to plummet $11 to 3.73%. Sure, some of that's about their business taking a hit from protests related to McDonald's because one of their franchisees in Israel offered a discount for Israeli soldiers, not popular in some parts of the world. But there's something else going on, too, something that's indicative of the two-consumer country that I'm talking about. The terrific CEO of McDonald's, Chris Chemchensky, 
talked multiple times on today's conference call about affordability. You usually don't hear that on McDonald's call and how the consumer's trading down even at McDonald's in part because the companies put through mid to high single digit price increases to cover their own inflation costs. There's transaction size reductions, too. Think about it. When people are trading down from McDonald's of all places, you know, times are rough for that one consumer. Let me just do the arithmetic. It's very easy. Wages are up 4.5%, but prices are up more than that for many items. So McDonald's customers are driven to lower price items or even cheaper places to eat, like the home. Listen to what Chris has to say. Quote, where you see the pressure with the U.S. consumer is the low-income consumer. So call it $45,000 and under. That consumer is pressured. From an industry standpoint, we actually saw that cohort decrease in the most recent quarter, particularly, I think, as eating at home has become more affordable. There's been much less pricing that's been taken more recently on packaged food. So you're seeing that eating at home is becoming more affordable, end quote. Tough for the fast food value proposition, good for lower priced supermarkets. So where else do we see pressure? Hey, Dollar Tree talks about it all the time. There's another outfit that we have historically seen gain during periods of declining economy. But their customers strapped. Dollar Tree recently said that lower income shoppers are really hurting and are going to their stores to find bargains. But on their conference call, CEO Rick Drelling said, and I quote, and this one blew me away. In the last 12 months, we have added 4.3 million new customers at Dollar Tree, 2.3 million new customers at Family Dollar. That's another division of theirs. He then went on to say, quote, Most of these new customers in the past year have household incomes of $125,000, end quote. Wow. $125,000 and going to Dollar Tree. Again, you got two consumers here. You got the strap, even if it goes up to 125, and you got the non-strap. Did you know that people who are who earn 125,000 a year are feeling strapped in the country? That's a sure sign that prices really are still out of control, and inflation, while going the right direction, isn't going fast enough or big enough. Who are the real winners? I think, and I got to tell you, the stocks are telling me I am dead right. There are two winners. There are Walmart and there's Costco. Walmart's the nation's largest grocer. 37 million people shop there every day. Costco covers 72 million households. That's where the trade down is most evident. Now, I don't pretend to have the pulse of prices at these stores, but when I go to my Costco or my Walmart, I am indeed stunned at the rollbacks and the lack of higher prices that I'm now see, getting quite used to. It's at larger grocery stores that I go to. I mean, I can see why the CEO of McDonald's means what, what he says that people are staying at home. These are the places, Costco and Walmart, that are holding the line against all of their suppliers. They're trying to get better prices for you. But what about that $34.99 Taylor Swift vinyl? What about the $35 Apple Vision Pro? You need to understand that that's the other country. Those who are doing very well and everything seems affordable. The ones buying the Vision Pro aren't cash strapped, especially when they can buy this thing using the Apple card. Pay no interest on the $3,500 device over a 12-month period with a 3% cash back up front on the full cost. Apple can charge that much and still get plenty of buyers because lots of people have jobs and judging by the labor report can get better ones if they need to. They can get a second one if they need to. I think the rally in Apple stock was up almost 2 bucks today reflects the dawning that the darn Vision Pro might be worth it. Taylor Swift, some would say she's indispensable. I'd say a vinyl Swifty fan or a CD or cassette fan, yes, she's bringing them all back in at much higher prices than digital, is part of the not-strapped economy, the part that can take advantage of the plentiful job market and earn more money without much of a problem. To these people, the Fed leaving short rates higher actually means they can earn more in their savings account. If anything, leaving rates higher for these people longer gives them more spending power. These are the people who can go to Chili's and not blanch at a $15 dinner or a Casamigos Margie for 13 smackers. I love a good Margie, but when it came to charging that at Bar San Miguel, which I used to in Brooklyn, no, couldn't, would never take it that high. Judging by the humongous numbers we got from Brinker's, 
Chewy's parent company, there are plenty of customers who don't mind, no, who love paying those prices. All right, let's really go tail two cities. American Express talked about an 11% increase in dining out, even as McDonald's talks about trading down, which brings us all the way back to the concept of the two consumers. There's a consumer that J-Pal isn't worried about, the one who can handle the years of rampant inflation we've had since 2019. And then there's a consumer that J-Pal is worried about, and that's the one who hasn't seen his or her wages increase as much as inflation. No, Powell doesn't want to burn down the economy in order to save it. He doesn't want to throw people out of work to get prices lower. But he's trying to keep prices from going higher for the lower-income people. And if the upper and middle tier want to share in those lower prices or buy the vinyl-tortured poets department, well, rock on! It won't be easy to sort everything through. Is McDonald's going to roll back prices? Apple Dollar Tree, you can revert to $1 pricing or eliminate the higher prices that it charges for a whole bunch of things now. Neither can pull that off without sacrificing their margins and their earnings and their stocks. But what I would say is that they need to look out because while the Fed can crush many kinds of inflation, the real inflation that matters to everyday consumers, the cost of gasoline, the price of food, well, that's not something the Fed can control. The bountiful Permian Basin is in charge of keeping oil down while the United States of Costco and Walmart make food affordable for those who can't afford the double Big Mac, let alone the Kramer White Fave Wendy's double Baconator. Please hold the tomato. Bottom line, high rates may not be helping, but they aren't hurting yet, either in right now at least. In the meantime, we've got a bifurcated consumer in this country, and until you understand that, nothing in this market will make sense at all, let alone the inequality that comes with it. Let's go to Ron in California. Ron. Hi, Jim. Your staff may be the nicest people I've ever spoken with. Yeah, man, what's up? I've loaded up on shares of this company the last four months, as I think it is in a sweet spot for infrastructure. It had a top and bottom line beat last week and a stop pop 12%. It did take some profits. It also raised the dividend 10%. It announced a $1.5 billion buyback equal to 4% of its stock and coupled with the 1% dividend. That's a 5% return right off the bat. Yet the analysts pretty much hate the stock, and there's a short position of 6%. Am I missing something with United Rentals, or is it a keeper? Thanks. Well, there is a, a short position. Now, I cannot in good conscience recommend a stock that really was at uh, – 396 in October is now 645. I could in good conscience recommend the stock though if it went below 600. So I am going to be price sensitive in suggesting that that's what you do. Let's go to Stefano in New York. Stefano. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How are Man, you? Scott, you have game. I like that. I need some game. It's Monday. It's late. No one's talking. Everybody's like looking down. I'm ready to roll. What's going on? So this company I'm talking about is beat top and bottom line. I listened to the earnings call, but there's a lot of secret projects, a lot of top secret projects with the Pentagon, Department of Defense. I am calling about the American giant Lockheed Martin. Where is this stock going this year? Okay, at 3%, I am saying you should buy Lockheed Martin. 3% yield, Jim Takelet. The stock has been a complete bow wow, an absolute dog. But you know what? Takelet's got game. I'm a buyer. Let's go to Robert in Florida. Robert. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well today, Robert. How about you? Great. Um, So my question is your take and uh, your idea on uh, biopharmaceutical category, Bristol-Myers Squibb. I seem to be catching the falling knife within the whole last two years. Yeah, I think that you're catching a a falling knife because they do have these loss of exclusivity situations. A lot of their big drugs. I think it's a five-year plan to turn around the company. It's going to take patience, and you're going to be paid that 5% yield while you wait. I prefer, I know it's old hat by now, but I still like Eli Lilly. 
Look, right now we got this bifurcated consumer country, but you don't know about it until you dig down into the conference calls. You have to understand that it's impacting the companies you own, it's impacting the stock market in general, the bonds, the Federal Reserve, everywhere. Just think of it as McDonald's versus Taylor Swift. On Man Money tonight, last week's big earnings report overshadowed an important move I'm seeing in the life sciences space. I'm sharing where I think the core could be headed in the best way to play it. Then one of the incredible charters has spotted an opportunity in a cloud database software company that could have 36% upside. You do not want to miss this one. I'll reveal the name later in the show when we go off the charts. And you call, you stun me with Axum Therapeutics. Tonight I'm turning my homework. You know what? I like it. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week was the busiest week of earnings season, with hundreds of companies reporting nearly a fifth of the S&P 500. Amid that frantic landscape, it's impossible to cover everything that matters. So tonight we're circling back to one of the themes I noticed last week, the resurgence of the life science tools and instrument makers. There you want to think about Kramer, Fave, Danaher, or Thermo Fisher Scientific. Now, this group's had a prolonged downturn for the past couple of years. See, the life sciences stocks got caught up. They, they were just on fire during the early portion of the COVID era, in part because their large diagnostics businesses boom when there was mass testing at the height of the pandemic, in part because they're arms dealers to the pharma and biotech outfits that were racing to develop vaccines and treatments for COVID. At the same time, there was an IPO boom with 600-odd companies coming public via traditional deals and SPAC mergers in 2021 alone. That included 104 biotech companies, which raised a cumulative $15 billion. And when biotechs raise money, what do they do? They order a lot of equipment for the likes of Danaher and Thermo Fisher. But then the whole industry seemed to freeze. The COVID-related business quickly dried up as the pandemic faded away from very fast. And these guys were suddenly up against very difficult year-over-year comparisons. Then as the IPO market collapsed, fewer biotech startups had the cash to buy equipment. And most of them couldn't raise any more money to buy equipment. That all led to a major problem. One I totally I didn't see coming. Inventory gluts for life sciences equipment. Basically, during the life sciences boom, customers overordered, presumably because this stuff was in short supply at the time. We saw this in other industries during the pandemic-induced supply disruptions, think the semiconductors. But it wasn't something I anticipated in the usually steady life sciences space. 
So that's what was, had been going on, and all we could do was wait for the glut to end. This hits close to home for me because we've owned Danher for the Travel Trust since early 2022. I'm not going to lie. It was a tough stock to hold for most of that period. I thought I was wrong every day, but we wrote it out. Because at the end of the day, Danner's problems seemed like temporary issues, not long-term secular challenges. So we kept the faith hoping for better days. It has not been easy, though. When Dana reported over the summer, I thought we were finally seeing signs that the glut in bioprocessing equipment might be coming to an end. I was wrong. That's one reason, though, I did recommend it on air in early October. But then when Dana reported later that month, although the results were good, management talked down the next quarter and even made some guarded comments about this year, 2024. In response, the stock got crushed. It's terrible. Finally, these stocks found their footing along with the rest of the market in late October when interest rates peaked. But it was hard to know if this group was truly out of the woods, which is why I was watching very closely when Danaher reported his fourth quarter numbers last Tuesday morning. So what happened? Well, I got to tell you, look, at first it wasn't good. I was just throwing stuff in the office, just throwing stuff. I was so angry. They did, did report a strong fourth quarter result with a smaller than expected organic sales decline and pretty healthy revenue and earnings beats. However, during the prolonged life sciences downturn, Danaher had plenty of quarters where they beat the numbers only to see their stock get pummeled by downbeat guidance. And last week, Danaher formally issued some guidance for both the first quarter and the full year 2024 that on the surface looked real disappointing. Specifically, the company uh, called for first uh, quarter organic revenue to be down high single digits year over year, worse than the 4.1% decline Wall Street was looking for. As for the full year forecast, Danaher said it's expecting organic revenue to be down low single digits year over year, when the analysts were essentially expecting a flat number. Upon seeing that guidance, the stock sold off in pre-market trading. It was down as much as 5% before trading started. At that moment, I was wondering whether I had totally lost my ability to judge this company. Maybe it was time to give up. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed that very day. And as Danher's conference call got going, it became clear that management was simply being conservative with the formal guidance. In fact, digging down, there was a lot more reason for optimism about the year ahead. Management didn't say they've seen an inflection point in bioprocessing equipment, but by the time they admit that, the easy money will already been made in this stock. Danaher did say that the rest of the world, outside, of course, of China, should return to growth in the second half of the year as the destocking process comes to an end. This is a word I, I should be teaching about. Destocking is how you work off excess inventory. So once the destocking is done, the glut is over, and then pricing can rise. Manager also said the bioprocessing book to bill ratio, which measures the amount of business coming in, should get pretty close to one in the second half. That's the inflection point. And again, you got to keep in mind that Danaher likes to lowball us with these predictions. They're very conservative coming. Now, during the Q&A session, management admitted that bioprocessing activity, quote, continues to be strong. Man, that's thin things flying, meaning inventories are being worked down at a solid pace. Basically, while Danaher elected not to pin itself down with an aggressive formal guidance, you could read between the lines and see that management was subtly signaling that things are indeed looking like they're ready to turn, and it's looking like the back half of the year will be meaningfully better. As I've told you time and again, you cannot actually wait for the turn to happen. If you want to benefit from the upswing in a stock that you want, you have to be in the stock before the turn happens, which is why on that day when the market said that this stock was going to be down 5%, it finished up 4.7%. What a swing. By the way, if you were still worried about the life sciences space, all you had to do was watch my interview with Thermo Fisher Scientific CEO Mark Casper last Wednesday night. Thermo Fisher reported strong earnings and an inline full year forecast that morning, but its stock reacted negatively, falling nearly 5% last Wednesday. I thought that was basically a sell the news reaction. Thermo Fisher had rallied 5.4% of the previous three days, partially in response to the Danner report the day before. Now, during our interview, Casper essentially confirmed that a turn was at hand. 
for Thermo Fisher 2023 was a post-pandemic reset year where they unwound excess inventory. And quote, 2024 is the beginning of the recovery here, end quote. He was especially bullish on Thermo Fisher on the second half, which is why you want to be in one of these life sciences stocks now before the second half. Plus, as interest rates come down, the IPO market continues to function. Biotechs will have an easier time raising money, meaning more customers uh, for these life sciences arms dealers. Of the eight $100 million plus IPOs we've had this year, do you know that four of them were biotech deals, raising nearly $800 million combined? Here it comes, people. I also think we're witnessing the start of a huge new innovation cycle in pharma with gigantic investment in GLP-1 weight loss drugs, along with oncology, uh, gene therapies, monoclonal antibodies, stuff that's going to be helped, of course, by, yes, generative AI. The big pharma outfits desperately need to fill the holes created by their upcoming patent expirations, which means more spending on this kind of equipment. So let me give you the bottom line on this, what's soon to be red hot group. The life science tools and instruments industry after several painful years in the wilderness finally seems to be getting ready to turn. And I think you want to own a Danner or a Thermo Fisher before the turn really kicks in during the second half of 2024. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, can a new deal with Amazon take this cloud player to new heights? Kramer goes off the charts to find out next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Now that everybody's realized what I've been saying for a while now, that the Federal Reserve's in no hurry to cut interest rates, hey, maybe you should stick with the kind of growth stocks that hold up just fine when the Fed's standing pat. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, we went off the charts with the help of Dan Fitzpatrick. Oh, he's a terrific technician. He's the founder of Stock Market Mentor, and he hosts his own podcast. It's called The Fitz Factor. And he pounded the table on two terrific tech stocks. One of them you know, one of them you should know, NVIDIA and Supermicro. Since then, NVIDIA's jumped 16%, and Supermicro surged 52%, including a stunning nearly 14% move just today. That's insane. Take that, Mr. CD. These are exactly the kind of stocks that made you huge money last year, and at least so far, they're keep working to begin with 2024. That's why I had to go back to Fitz, right, with those kinds of numbers. So what else fits the pattern? Tonight, we're going off the charts and with Dan again because he's patting the table on another tremendous performer that I thought maybe we missed, a company called MongoDB. That's the cloud database software company whose main products became a, become a big hit with businesses running, yes, generative AI workloads. And that's why MongoDB more than doubled last year. And Fitzpatrick is betting that, like NVIDIA, like Supermicro, it's got a lot more room to run. I recommended this, this one at the beginning of the year because it's got great numbers, and they recently signed a big deal with Amazon. They could give the stock more juice, and that's why this stock roared on Friday after Amazon reported spectacular numbers. Or, as Fitzpatrick put it, MongoDB has the kind of growth that institutional investors love, they crave, and you can see that in the charts. First, take a look at this weekly chart. On the weekly, Fitzpatrick gives MongoDB a 25% upside target from where it is. I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, it, it, yeah, how does he get there? Okay. Last spring, MongoDB roared higher. Then July to today, it's been mostly trading sideways. See that? Not doing much, right? 
digesting his previous gains. Fitzpatrick likes to measure the depth of the pattern from where it was trading in July to today. And from the lows to the highs, that's about $110 range. Now, the stock's pushing up against a ceiling resistance that runs from 435 to 440. Here's your ceiling resistance, the black line, okay? And MongoDB's right smack in the middle of the zone here, but once it breaks out above 440, it makes what's called a measured move, measured move, where it repeats the scale of the previous rally. You know what? That would take the stock to 545 to 550. There's our target. Now, he notes that MongoDB pulled back hard in December with the stock getting clobbered on massive volume, nearly 20 million shares. Okay, we see that. Uh, normally, a high volume decline like this is at least a yellow flag for technicians, but Patrick says that the, the, the decline has run its course, highly unusual. In fact, the stock's now back above where it was trading before it broke down in December, meaning that all that supply at that level has already been absorbed, it's been bought. In his view, these levels have now become a floor of support. This is amazing. You usually see a stock go like this after a big volume decline. That's why he thinks any pullback from these levels could make for a nice buying opportunity. All right, how about Mongodoo's daily chart? On the daily, Fitzpatrick points out that the stock already gave you a high-volume breakout last Friday, blasting through the key ceiling of resistance on volume that was 60% higher. See that? Okay. And you see the breakout? 60% higher than average. Remember, for charters, volume is like a polygraph. A high-volume rally means the rally is telling the truth. And it's telling the truth because it means there's institutional buying. Big institutions never buy all at once. And it can take them quite some time to accumulate a position that's large enough to be meaningful to their portfolios. Looking at the last attempt to break through the ceiling, that was back in mid-December. Okay, so we're going back here. Uh, MongoDB had a high-volume day, 6.2 million shares, and it closed around 420. Again, Fitzpatrick says that's a sign of institutional buying, and it trumps the big decline we saw just a week earlier on the volume of 7 million shares. For him, this is a big tale. Big institutions don't day trade, and they don't swing trade. Instead, they typically like to build big positions. In early December, it wasn't happening. But from mid-December through now, he thinks these money managers have gone a lot more positive on MongoDB and their buying can keep pushing the stock ever higher. Definitely thinks that's going to be taken out. Now that the stock's broken through the 420 level, Fitzpatrick expects that to become a new floor. All right, so we've got the new floor coming. See that black line? And uh, if the big boys liked it at 420 in December, he thinks that they'll like it again when it comes back to that level in February. Moving forward, last week, MongoDB tested its floor of support at the 50-day moving average, and you're looking at the 50-day as the red, okay? Tested this floor of support. But that decline happened on low volume. Again, volume is a polygraph in the chart, and, and that means low volume means you shouldn't pay too much attention to the move. So you got to go and look at these, high volume versus low volume, which is the lower one. Uh, according to Fitzpatrick, when a stock trades sideways on light volume, it's a sign of stability. It means that big institutions are standing pat. They're not selling. Otherwise, the stock would be getting hit a lot harder on bad days with much higher volume. So MongoDB broke out to the upside on Friday, and that's what you're looking at right here, okay? Fitzpatrick says that move tells us a great deal. For example, it tells us that the stock's safe to buy on weakness, plus MongoDB doesn't report for another month. So there's plenty of time for the stock to consolidate before the big institutions get a catalyst to buy more. In the end, I think this is a very strong business, and I'm a big fan of uh, MongoDB's CEO, Dev Idichiria, who is just dynamite. My only concern with this stock, though, is that it had a run, so much of a run in the first half of last year. But Fitzpatrick makes it very clear that MongoDB has digested those gains and could be getting ready for another leg higher. In other words, do not be dissuaded that you missed this. This has been the case, by the way, with a lot of things, including the super micro. A lot of people say, oh, I missed it next. He's saying, no, not too late. 
Here's the bottom line. Charts interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggest that MongoDB could have a lot more room to run. And I'd rather bet with him than bet against him on this one because he's been knocking it out of the park with the, with the uh, Super Micro and with the NVIDIA. This could be next. Let's take calls. I want to talk to Earl in Virginia. Earl. Yes. Hey, Hi, Jim Kramer. It's not, not nice of you to take my call. I, I have some, some concerns about Qualcomm. I uh, wondered how it did today, and I noticed last week it had a bad day. And I was just wondering if they were in the AI or or how were they competing in the marketplace? Okay, that's a great question. And by the way, the stock was down very badly on Friday. And that's because it's mostly a, a, a cell phone play. They like to think it's also an auto play, but they're much more cell phone. And we know from Apple that cell phones are a little bit weaker. Uh, I would say this. I think they're better fish to fly, fry in the category. It's not an expensive stock, though. But I would urge you to take a hard look at NVIDIA still, believe it or not, Broadcom or AMD, all of which I like more than I like Qualcomm. Now let's go to Mary in Idaho. Mary. Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer, from beautiful downtown Idaho, where it is 54 degrees and partly cloudy. I want to thank you for all the knowledge you have shared and information you have given us, neophytes out here, and from me personally, for the insight on SCMI and PCAR. I I have, um, my question is, I need to sell some stock to raise some cash, and I'm stuck between two stocks. Is there a formula or a quick and dirty way to determine which one is the better one to sell or if I should sell them both? I'd like your recommendation. And the two stocks I'm caught between are IBM and Nexstar. Okay, this is a great question. A lot of people, first of all, thank you for the kind words. A lot of people face these dilemmas. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that the industry that Nexstar is in, Nexstar Media, which is television broadcasting, is incredibly challenged and not doing that well. The industry that IBM is in is very good, and IBM's quarter was excellent. I think IBM is a keeper, and I'm not so sure about Nexstar Media. All right, the charts as interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick point to MongoDB having a lot more room to run. Hey, is that the next one? Wouldn't that be something? And given Fitzpatrick's track record, I'd rather bet with him than against him. I bet you agree after the last two. Much more money hit. Looking for a stock with the potential to carry high risk but high reward? I'm thinking to a name that I didn't even know when you called in. But I've since done the work, and I am ready to share my thesis. And a soft landing, a hard landing, or no landing at all. I'm sharing the latest on the Fed's next move and where I think you should be looking to park your money. And of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. On January 25th, I got a call from Diane in Florida who asked about a red hot biotech play called Axome, A X S O M E, Therapeutics, with a stock that's run from around $60 in November to $91 and changes over today. At the time, I thought I needed to do more research because Axome is all about treating central nervous system diseases, and those are very, very, very hard to to treat. Uh, for the most part, most companies have very limited success even attempting to try something for central nervous. But after digging, I think this one actually works as a high-risk, high-reward speculative name. The kind of stock you can take a chance on as long as you're only, as long as you're playing with what I describe as only money that you can afford to lose. See, Axum's got two drugs on the market. Their main formulation 
Ovality is a depression treatment that's basically a combination of Wellbutrin, that's an old drug, and cough medicine. It got FDA approval back in the summer of 2022, although the, getting there was a long and difficult process. They got one other drug on the market, it's called Sinosi, which is a treatment for excessive daytime sleepiness caused by obstructive sleep apnea or narcolepsy. They bought this one from Jazz Pharma a couple of years ago. But if you're thinking about buying Axum right here, it's all about what they've got in the pipeline. Their lead depression drug also happens to be in phase three trials for Alzheimer's disease agitation. It's gotten breakthrough therapy designation from the FDA. Very important. It's also in early stage trials for smoking cessation. Meanwhile, Axum's wakefulness drug, Sinosi, is in advanced trials for ADHD, binge eating disorder, and shift work disorder. And that's what they call it when you have trouble sleeping because you work odd hours. Looking deeper into the pipeline, there's AXS-07, which is being studied as a migraine drug, although the FDA rejected this one nearly two years ago, citing issues with its chemistry, manufacturing, and controls. In other words, they didn't reject it because of the drug's safety or efficacy profile. At the same time, Axiom said that those other issues were fixable. I believe them because the same thing happened with Ovelity, their antidepressant. Management plans to resubmit this migraine drug for approval in the first half of the year. Last but not least, Axiom has a pipeline asset uh, in phase three trials for fibromyalgia, that's a painful soft tissue disorder, and muscle weakness caused by narcolepsy, with the latter receiving orphan drug designation from the FDA. Now, look, I I said the stock's been hot recently, climbing more than 50% from where it was in November. Why? Well, first, the whole biotech sector got lift late last year when interest rates peaked and the Federal Trade Commission gave up on blocking Amgen's acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics with minimal concessions. That was really the, that was just the gun going off. Ever since then, Wall Street's been willing to bet on biotech takeovers again. Didn't hurt when Bristol-Myers announced it was buying Career Therapeutics, a neuroscience specialist for $14 billion. If you remember, we had them when we were J.P. Morgan, uh, healthcare conference. I liked what I heard. At the same time, in recent months, two analysts initiated coverage on the stock with a buyer equivalent. Uh, in early December, Citi started the stock with a buy rating and a $125 price target. And while also naming Axum a top pick for 2024, saying it could possibly triple if everything goes right. Triple! Since then, it's already run from 70 to 91, but that ain't a triple. More recently, on January 25th, analysts at RBC Capital started Axum with an outperform rating and a $126 price target, citing the combination of a strong launch for that Ovelity, solid cash flows from the acquired Sonosi, and, quote, underappreciated pipeline optionality, end quote, all of which made Axum an attractive mid-cap biotech. That more recent initiation from RBC came right on the heels of an update from the company itself. On January 4th, Axum issued a corporate business update where it pre-announced some impressive fourth quarter sales results for its two drugs on the market and released a list of anticipated milestones for its pipeline candidates in 2024. Both were very positive. Ovality did approximately $130 million in sales last year, including $49 million in the fourth quarter alone, while Sinosi had $74 million in revenues last year, including $22 million in the fourth quarter. Clearly, Axum's finding some nice traction with their depression drugs, and the wakefulness drugs also doing better than expected. As for the list of anticipated milestones this year, well, it's extensive. Axum says it's expected to resubmit its new drug application for the migraine treatment at some point in the first half of the year, and we should also expect a new drug application for the fibromyalgia drug uh, in this quarter. Fibromyalgia is a very tough disease to, to crack. On top of that, Axum expects top-line results from three separate phase three trials this year for its narcolepsy, Alzheimer's disease agitation, and ADHD drugs, respectively. Finally, the company plans to initiate four other late-stage clinical trials. This company's really doing stuff. So where do I come down on this? Look, I, I could pick an individual legs for the Axum story. For example, I wouldn't be inclined to bet on this one if the whole story was just on the potential migraine treatment that's already been rejected by the FDA. 
As chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I know there are now many good drugs on the market, many more than there were just a few years ago. It's become a crowded field, not that lucrative. I also know that Alzheimer's disease is incredibly difficult to get to crack in any way, shape, or form, and I wouldn't want to bet on a company that's wholly dependent on a single Alzheimer's drug, even just for agitation. Finally, I love that the company had developed both of its commercial stage drugs, not acquired one of them, although they deserve some credit for recognizing the opportunity. But take it as a whole, I am indeed impressed with what I see here. I like that Ovelity's launch. Seems to be going pretty pretty good, better than anticipated. And the company has a solid commercial engine with Ovelity and Sinosi, which will help fund the development of the rest of the pipeline. On top of that, I like that Axum has what we call shots on goal, meaning realistic chances of success with multiple pipeline candidates. One drug won't sink them. Even if they're successful with most of the pipeline drugs, not necessarily all of them, then the company should be more valuable in the future than it is today, especially because they're pursuing large end markets. Axums could also make a good takeover target. I typically do not recommend stocks on that, but in a world where something like Karuna Therapeutics is worth $14 billion to Bristol, hey, Remember, most big pharma outfits are desperate to make acquisitions in order to make up for impending patent expirations. Now, I hate to recommend a stock that's run so much, but with so many potential catalysts still ahead for Axum, I don't want to tell you that you have to wait for a major pullback and end up keeping you out of something that I think is really pretty darn good. So I know I'm a touch late. There's no doubt about that. I still think you can put on a small position here. And if the stock does come back in, say, for some non-Axum-specific reason, like a crummy day in the bond market, I think you can add to it. Bottom line, I stand by what we said to Diane on the phone. The central nervous system space is really difficult. But I see enough good things going on here with Axum that I think the stock can be owned as a high-risk, high-reward speculative bet in what's suddenly becoming a really good market for biotech. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. That's right, Rob Colton Herman. Timmy, say the box, say the bye bye bye. You know, play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Andrew in Connecticut. Andrew. Booyah, Jim. Just wanted to say thank you to you and your team for everything that you do. Very kind. I bought, I bought Powell Industries about a week ago, and I just wanted to know if you thought it was a buy, sell, or hold, and whether or not you could have them on to talk more about investing in their data center uh, business. I tell you the truth, I should ask them. I've been buying, uh, we've been buying Eaton for the Travel Trust, which is our favorite in the CBC Investing Club. You've got a good one, too. Let's see if we can't get Powell on. They're very similar uh, businesses. I've been trying to get Eaton on, too, and get the whole shooting match here. Let's go to Tibbs in Indiana. Tibbs. NLM, Tibbs here. Given hey, the Tibbs. better earnings from left, given the better earnings from left corner, how do you think about the stock IEP? IP, I have no idea what it really owns. I will not recommend stocks when they have money when I do not know what they really own. Let's go to Joe in Ohio. Joe. Jim, big booyah. How you doing? Nice. I'm doing well. How about you? Great, great. Can't complain. Uh, just an opinion, please. Mission Produce, trading symbol A-B-O, Alpha, Victor, Oscar. You got me beat on that one, partner. I don't know, Mission. I have to like check it out. Now, probably I'll hear Chipotle tomorrow talk about avocado prices. We'll learn a lot more, but that's what I know is what I, this one's new to me. Let's go to David in New York. David. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. I, I look forward to working with you tomorrow morning at 9, unless you're not David Faber, and then I don't. 
I'd like to know your opinion on the management and growth of the company. ASP Space Mobile, is it a buy short-term? Well, the, these guys, they got to make money, and there's nowhere in, I don't see any way, shape, or form that they're going to be making any money, so I'm going to have to hold off on that one. Let's go to Gabe in Michigan. Gabe. Hey, Jim. Good evening, and a big Michigan hail to you. Oh, thank you, buddy. What's up? <laughs> hey, I've been watching a, a company here for a few months, as you've advised, you know, throughout the years, been watching you, and uh, there's some uncertainty tied up here in the court system, but after positive earning and outlook and pipeline. What are your thoughts on GSK? I think GSK is going even higher than it is right now. It's been a terrific winter of late. Uh, and Dame Walls is doing a terrific job. I am I'm a believer in GSK. I am a believer. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, my wife was cooking hot dogs last night made with chicken and pork. And she asked if I thought they'd be good one day past expiration. I told her they were never good to begin with as I only eat all beef. And Jim, I only buy my dogs at one place. And that's a lot of revenue behind a lot of dogs. Could we buy the Kroger company? Well, I was going to be in Costco where we got the buck 50 hot dog yesterday. Okay, look, I, I normally I would just say, listen, we're fine with Kroger, but the CFO just quit. And I got to find out what the heck's going on. And the CFO is real good. It just happened. So we're going to hold off right now for Kroger. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Michael. Hey, Jim, a big Scotch Plains booyah to you. Oh, man, I remember we played Scotch Plains. We used to beat them. And then one year, we came in. My kids were 14. I thought every one of their kids was 16, and I challenged them. And that was the end of my coaching career. What's up? Uh, greatest under-the-radar stock, rarely mentioned. 294 consecutive quarterly dividends and 67 fiscal years of increased dividends. And that, of course, is Parker Hannafin. What a company. What a company. I mean, unbelievable. You know, they used to come on in the first couple years of the show, and it was just blow away. And then they kind of they kind of went their way, and I went my way. I think PH is a remarkable company. Let's go to David in California. David. Yeah. Hi, Jimbo. How you Whoa. doing? Staying I'm doing well. How about you? And beyond the rising waters here in California. Yeah, it's tough. I hope everybody does okay out there. Wow. How can I help? Yeah, I- well, I'm looking at uh, Big C. Got into it around the pandemic time. It was really priced high, and now it is just been steady, at a little below ten, right around nine. What are your thoughts? No, no, we got we got Amazon. We're we're Amazon people. We, we we're prime. We're prime Amazon people. Let's go to Brendan in New Jersey. Brendan. Hi, Kramer. Nice hey, Brendan. To, uh, talk to you again. You betcha. Um, I have a question on a shipping company okay. uh, headquarters in Greece. You know, I feel like shipping rates have been going higher recently. Right. And I was curious about your thoughts on Dineos, DAC. They're all trading together. Um, I, you know, I happen to think that Zim's time is here right now. Uh, and and th- that's the one that I'm thinking. But remember, these are trades. These are always trades. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good other lightning round. Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, rates have put a spark along some risk-free investments. But can you afford to miss the market's hottest opportunities? Kramer parses Powell's latest next. Next. 
So we finished listening to Jay Powell in 60 Minutes last night. I said to myself, well, my job just got even harder. And what exactly is my job right now, at least as I perceive it, to help convince you to take some money off the 5% sidelines and put it into some of the stocks that we've overweighted in the charitable trust. The ones we talk about it every day at our morning meetings and write about constantly to help CNBC Investing Club members know what they own. After listening to Powell, I know we're at the crossroads. The dichotomy of hard landing versus soft landing is being replaced by no landing. As we're back to reality, the reality that we lived with for so many years before the Great Recession. Reality is that, historically speaking, short rates are, they aren't all that high. They're at a level where the economy can still grow jobs, but still has some inflation. As witnessed by the huge decline in the long-dated bond prices, meaning that longer-term interest rates, like those of mortgages or credit cards or card payments, are suddenly going up after Friday's uh, report from the Non-Farm Labor Department. Or to put it succinctly, why on earth would the Fed cut short rates when inflation could still flare up badly if we keep getting strong employment numbers like we had on Friday? So why does the situation have me dismayed? Well, why not just tell everyone to park their money in certificates and deposits and collect that cool 5%? Because it's highly doubtful that the Fed's next move is to raise rates. Although if we get another labor report like we had next week, I, I might still come out here and start push for another tightening. But the Fed didn't leave that door open. Right, so now we have two ways to win in the stock market. Either the economy keeps humming and earnings remain strong, sending stocks up, or the economy slows down enough for the Fed to be able to justify cutting rates and the stock market goes up. In either option, there's going to be more money made in the stock market than you think, which is why from 1981 on, I have sung the praises of these kinds of exquisite phases in the business cycle where the Fed's done and rate cuts are ahead of us at some indetermined point in the future. Of course, there's always going to be risk to buying stocks, but right now, a crucial risk is giving up on some of those one- or two-year risk-free CDs that earn you that 5% for something a little more risky, like stocks. Powell's telling you that higher short rates are here to stay, which means to many people that stocks are a reckless option. They think they can wait until the Fed starts cutting its rates, and then they can start buying. By then, it will be too late. When you look at the sectors that are screaming higher right now, the techs, the industrials, the rails, travel, nature, healthcare, you can throw darts at the winners. And if you own a meta platforms or an Amazon or NVIDIA, you know that that 5% you got from that CD is the kind of thing that a great stock can give you in a week or even a day. I have no illusions. Some of you will come off the sidelines for a small percentage of your assets, perhaps to an index fund. I like the SP 500, and I, and I cheer that. But I'm beginning to believe that the biggest money will be made between this period where the Fed's holding pat and the moment where we get the first rate cut. So I've got to redouble my efforts to say, look for stocks here. In other words, right now, if I'm right, you're going to be kicking yourself if you insist on in parking all of your cash in CDs or treasuries. Find some room for some stocks, please, and I do not think you will regret it. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart.